My name is Johnny Maunders and this is the week what just happened. The government is locked in last minute negotiations with the EU around a trade deal. Either way, we're finally near the end of the most annoying will they or won't they saga since Ross and Rachel on Friends. On Wednesday, Boris Johnson had dinner with EU chief Ursula von der Leyen to help thrash out a deal. I'm not surprised. The political class are always one step ahead of us when it comes to tough bargaining. They know you should never haggle on the phone when you can negotiate over dinner. No wonder I never get anywhere when I phone BT to complain about my internet speed. I should be really inviting them out to Nando's instead. You have to feel a bit sorry for von der Leyen. Not only did she have to put up with Boris's poor table manners, but he tried to bypass her and speak directly to the leaders of France and Germany. It's a bit like me to a woman for a day and then asking for her sister's phone numbers. Meanwhile, the first COVID vaccinations have taken place across the UK. The Health Secretary Matt Hancock labelled it as the start of the fight back against our common enemy. People criticised the government's Covid response but I'm glad we spent nine months waiting for this fight back. Just imagine if Hancock and co had stupidly rushed to combat the virus straight away like New Zealand and South Korea. Okay so we might have saved thousands of lives but we'd never have worked out who our five best friends were or been able to find Barnard Castle on a map. The International Criminal Court refused to take action against the UK despite declaring the military had committed war crimes in Iraq. While the report said that hundreds of Iraqis were abused by British troops, it said it did not have enough evidence to suggest a government cover-up. That's reasonable. The fact that the Army Prosecution Service didn't advance any of the cases and that the government referred to abuse claims as vexatious is proof it wasn't a cover-up. Everyone knows that nobody with something to hide has ever tried to block investigations and discredit accusers. After all, if Tony Blair had told more lies and smeared more dissenters, maybe people wouldn't think he lied about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Everybody, welcome to this dangerous podcast. My name is Johnny Maunders. People say hello. Hello. Bonsoir. For those who didn't hear, that was Bertie and DJ. Welcome to another delicious episode of our podcast. We begin this very serious episode with a rendezvous with Bertie's mixology department. Oh. How are you cocktailing today? Dangerously, as the podcast name would suggest. I actually think, Johnny, that every week the podcast gets more dangerous, but the cocktail gets equally as dangerous. I don't really know where to begin with this one. I've got some names in mind, but all I can say is that, you know, that the the winter warmers are growing on me. So I'll do this in, in, in normal fashion where I start with the least exciting uh, ingredient and I work my way up. Can I just say last week we didn't get any complaints about your cocktail. I feel like that's an improvement. Maybe to our weird listeners, your disgusting cocktails are actually more palatable than your less disgusting ones. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going on a journey of discovery here. I never thought that I'd be drinking something puddingy on a... Wednesday, Thursday night, and and honestly, I'd never thought I'd be drinking what I'm drinking right now. Maybe we should, like, when all this is over, we should set up this dangerous cocktail bar. I need cocktail. to make my own mixology poster. That's going to be the next thing to come out of uh, this dangerous uh, artwork. is is going to be uh, <laughs> my very own mixology poster with all the names, if you can That's remember good. all of them. We could sell drinks that have artwork on the labels, and I can draw the pictures. It'd be a bunch of weird shit. And they'd all have weird names. That sounds good. Like craft beers. We should have our own pub. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right, buddy, talk us through this cocktail of love. So, yeah, least exciting ingredient. Wait for it. Warm water. All right, when you say warm water, do you mean water? 
microwave again. Yeah, did you put it in the microwave? Okay, did you so, pour it in the kettle, or did you literally turn on the tap and put in lukewarm water? So I should I should say now it's warm now, but it was hotter when it left the tap. Like I've got a very good boiler in my house. Just saying. Wait, wait, wait. When it left the tap. When it left the tap, it was the hot tap. So, so yeah. you just poured hot water from the tap. Um, when it left the tap, it was the hot tap. So, is this there's, even there's, safe? A bit, there's a little bit of mechanics li- missing here. This is this is the issue with always starting with the least favorite ingredients. Uh, you kind of lose the whole process of how you actually made the cocktail. But I will I will explain all in due course. So I'll start. Yeah, warm water found its way into the cocktail. Oh, it was hot water to start with, and that was quite important found its way into the cocktail, closely followed by second most unexciting ingredient. There's some lemon juice. Now, not a lot of lemon juice was used in this cocktail. Like I'd say like a few squirts and it was actually to finish it off. So, okay. Then we get, okay, and then I guess alcohol, you know, is exciting, isn't it? So you got, yeah. So gin was my, uh, was my spirit of choice. The thing that's really going to blow your mind is that, I mixed the hot water with some bovril before I... You might have to explain to DJ what bovril is. All right. So so you know how I'm very sort of British and I'm a big fan of bubble and squeak and spam on toast and all this kind of stuff. So bovril is probably the sort of thing that, um, you know, would be kind of like a staple wartime diet. In the olden days, well, not even the old, until relatively recently, it was quite common at football matches for fans like very for working class fans to have a cup of bovril it's essentially beef stock but i would say that it's posh beef stock in that you know you get yourself some bovril some <laughs> johnny's laughing to himself yeah it's better than oxo isn't it? i mean come on because you know oxo is is all that crumbly stuff whereas bovril is a smooth marmite kind of um oh. Oh, it's it's wonderful. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I I love all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, wartime food, bring it on. Just just so you I'll just love, love wartime food. So if if they brought back rationing, that you'd be, you'd love it. It's not, it's not coincidence, you know. Like we are we are going through like the pandemic. There's Brexit happening. Like for all we know, like we could be about to enter a wartime scenario. So you know, I'm just. I'm just, yeah, I'm just reminiscing again about the good old days. Let me get this straight. You have a cocktail that includes warm water, gin, and bovril, <laughs> and lemon yeah. juice to make it a bit more exotic and Mediterranean. And I, I, I didn't finish there, though. I mean, I, I, loved, uh, I loved the little the little spicy hit I got last week, so I, I couldn't get enough. It was very Moorish. So I, I had to add some Tabasco in there as well. Okay, uh, so you've basically got a chili con carne with, with gin in it. <laughs> I didn't see it that way, but yeah. What are what are Bloody Marys again? Tomato juice. Tomato juice, yeah. What are they putting in it? Vodka? Yeah, vodka. Yeah, vodka. I mean to be quite honest with you guys, I wanted to put vodka in it, but I just I just don't have any. I just got gin. Uh so yeah, second second best thing really. Bit of Gordons, you know, nothing nothing too uh too classy. It's an alcoholic chili hungani. It should be called chili gone barmy. Chili gone barmy. <laughs> I like it. Or the flaming cow pat. That's the <laughs> other one. <laughs> Let the I'm, listeners decide. I'm writing that down as potential podcast names, the flaming cow pat. So yeah, ask me how it is anyway. Yeah, is it is it nice? It looks disgusting to be honest. <laughs> it looks well, like the kind of thing that they would give an old person to drink if they have bowel problems. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's the sort of thing they give you when you basically can't eat anything, isn't it? It's the stuff they would feed you through a tube, but it's 
just about edible. Because I love Bovril so much, I love it. But to be quite honest, the flaming cow pat is uh it's not very it's not very puddingy, it's not very cocktaily. Would I recommend other people to drink it? Probably not. Like my, my breath's probably gonna smell quite horrible after this. Uh even though I'm strangely enjoying it. The flaming cow pat will live forever. It will, yeah. I mean probably mostly in your, mostly in your colon, to be honest, but for, the, for those who don't know, we have an illusion of professionalism in this podcast. But DJ is recording from her bed. Her bedroom is very nicely decorated. However, it does look like she's her room is decorated specifically for a mushroom party. And I don't mean shiitake mushrooms. <laughs> and she looks very happy of herself now. Betty, what are you doing? Uh, I was going to say, I was, I was literally look, on my bed until about five seconds ago. You look uh, like you're wiping your ass. <laughs> Uh, well, it can look like that when you're trying to charge your uh, computer. You know, that's a common problem. I, and also, I thought, I thought I thought the flaming cow pat had gone straight for you already. <laughs> it does look like a suspicious. It's it's a very suspicious color. Like I I thought for it for instance, I thought you guys would think that maybe it was a a coke, but now I'm starting to see there's there's really like no resemblance. Like coke coke has got that like deep black color. This has got some sort of like bitty dark brown it genuinely it like came out of like a, a puddle or a sewer yeah sewage treatment works yeah that's the sort of thing you probably get um, the tabasco's formed a sort of fatty layer on the top that's probably about right to be honest yeah i think it's either come out of a puddle or someone with ebola <laughs> jesus christ someone with any form of yeah maybe a bit of second world war dysentery a good old-fashioned bit of dysentery for a good old-fashioned bit of bovril Exactly. So what's the name of this cocktail then? It needs like a, a wartime name. <laughs> oh, you could call it like the old Bessie or so, I don't know. Or... The old Bessie, that's like a genuine name. That's an actual name. We don't do actual good names on this podcast. Uh, no. I thought you wanted to name it the Flaming Cowpat. That's what it tastes like. So <laughs> that's, I'm going off my senses. Although suggestions welcome. Maybe we'll have to make a poll for this after the podcast. Let's do it. We'll have a poll. We will have a poll. Let's have three suggestions. The Flaming Cowpat can be one. I'm going to put Chili Gone Barmy as another one. I'm trying to think of something with like famine in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I could say so many things, but I'm not going to. Or maybe, or what about something with dysentery in it? I mean, you could just, yeah, you could call it all sorts, really. I mean, you don't have to be that imaginative looking at it, do you, really? I mean, literally, runny turd or something like that. (laughs) Runny turd? Runny turd. In a bowl of tonic. Runny turd, I suppose, because it's alcoholic. Dysentery in in the morning. That's it. You could call it like um, two magnesium tablets later. Wait, what? I said you could call it two magnesium tablets later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gross. Oh, dear. I can't believe I'm still drinking this shit. Well, what about laxogen? Laxogen. That's a good one. Laxogen. I like it. That sounds That sounds like real, too. Okay. Done. Let's move on. That's the important part of the podcast, done. That's the serious bit of the podcast, done. Now I've got to drink it. Yeah, exactly. Um, your lights in your bedroom are distracting me, DJ. They look very, very nice. Do you want me to turn them off? No, it's fine. They're just they're very colorful and nice. Should I change it to one color? Leave it. It's nice. <laughs> this podcast is not a democracy. This is not a democracy. I just I just let you think it is. That's deeper meaningful. As we speak, Boris Johnson is having dinner with the chief of the European <laughs> chief of the European Union. I like to think, because they're trying to thrash out a Brexit, a like trade deal. I like to think that he's taken her to Harvester or Frankie and Benny's. <laughs> he's taken her for a cheeky harvester. He's for oh, I flew up with the salad bar. We get talking. 
<laughs> he's just you know what he's doing he's just he's just getting a course after course after course and keeping up keeping a you know keeping up hungry I, I, he's that typical guy though where it goes to celibate over and over again that he just fills his bowl with like bacon bits and like crispy onion and thousand island dressing that's literally it and maybe a bit a couple of bits of sweet corn there's no lettuce in there there's no cucumber that sounds like a trump barbecue bacon bits is one of my sources of vitamin c <laughs> but yeah so they're having some dinner candlelit dinner to thrash out this trade deal because uh, i think the deadline is the 31st of december if i'm not mistaken and it looks like at the moment it's not going very well because there are big disagreements about fishing which I know is very exciting and I, and I know it means a lot to the people of this podcast fishing. It's basically about who has rights to fish in the channel, basically. So in what, what areas and we've had issues with people saying, you know, the French have been fishing in our waters and there's, you know, we want to, we want to have our sort of our area of the channel, you know, designated. They should just have a raffle like every couple, every month to have a raffle to see who can fish in our waters. And I'd love it when like, like Eritrea, like win the raffle to get be able to go fishing in our waters. Yeah, you, and you, have, you have all these like British fishermen. Oh, it's so upsetting that these people from Eritrea have won the raffle to go fishing in my lake. That's it. They're going to yeah. sail all the way up to Scotland, to the North Sea, via you know the Suez Canal, just yeah. to get some of our delicious cod. Is there already some kind of uh, regulations about fishing in the Channel? So yeah, there is. As part of the European Union, there are. Basically, it's an agreement so that the French have some access to our fishing waters. And it's basically rules about overfishing. And so the British basically want to stop the French having so much access, but also they want to be able to fish more themselves so that so, so they don't want to stick to the fishing rules. And then obviously, but obviously France wants to be able to still fish in British waters. So that's the that is the sticking point, or certainly one of the sticking points. There are other things as well. It looks like they've sort of smoothed over the Northern Ireland stuff, because that was another thing this week that uh, about Northern Ireland. Um, but it looks like they've they've got a deal about Northern Ireland. That's quite a result, actually. I didn't really, I didn't really know if that was to be expected or not. So, yeah, it, it is and it isn't though, because it has just gone against like what they said right from the beginning. If that makes sense, because they are like because they said, oh, we're not going to treat Northern Ireland differently to the rest of the United Kingdom, and then it turns out they actually are. So. Because some goods will be checked. They're like, yeah, we love you, DUP. Oh, shit. Sorry, DUP. We hate you. That's basically what it is. Fuck this them. is a bit off topic, but you just reminded me. Um, but you used to like the DUP? Not um, not in Republic of Ireland. They bought, like, some kind of tax on food or whatever. And, like, certain things are considered necessities or, like, whatever so it's like not taxed like bread or something desserts are i could be wrong i should fact check this but our podcast is firmly against fact checking dj apparently apparently the bread that's sold in subway didn't pass the like like it's not i saw that because it's got too much sugar in it yeah it'd be bread so it's basically cake yeah. I saw that. So yeah, so so in yeah, so in the, it's the Republic of Ireland. So in the Republic of Ireland, you don't have to pay tax on bread, I think. Mm. But Subway puts too much sugar in their bread to be counted mm-hmm. as bread. Whoa. So we technically, don't... so technically they're not allowed to call their bread bread. 
in, in the Republic of Ireland because it's not it's not it's technically too sweet, too much sugar in it to be. I bright. wish they would do that here. Yeah, because they do people, everywhere. people go on the subway thinking like, "Oh, I'm making the healthy choice." It's like, no, you're not. Like, it's but so it, disgusting back there. Like, the ingredients are trash. Um, yeah, but but don't you think lunch isn't it? Like but, Subway is basically what do you pick when you when you're hungry, but you don't want you don't want to eat KFC, Burger King, or McDonald's. You get a Subway, and you don't want a sandwich. You don't want anything fried, but you don't realize it's actually still all processed. But also, I think it's quite funny because I love the idea of being in a Subway and like going, "Oh, can I have a meatball marinara, please?" And they're like, "On which cake?" <laughs> I'll be like, oh, I'll have it on Italian herbs and cheesecake, please. That's it, yeah. You, all of you sudden, you got, you got a cheesecake. That's not actually a cheesecake. No, I was going to say, though, like, I'm pretty sure we're entering into sort of philosophical territory here because, you know, when there's a... How do you define, you know, what's a bread and what's a cake? Where's the line? Where does brioche sit? That's what I want to know. When does a piece of bread become a pastry or a cake? Because this is serious, serious questions. Well, this is sugar, isn't it? Because bread is just supposed to be like wheat and you know flour and water. I think it depends on the quantity of sugar because I think a lot of bread has sugar in it as a preservative. Yeah, but but like the subway ones are like they're you know more of a basically more sugar than like a brioche almost because yeah, it's it's more sugar than wheat. And it begs the question: Does like yeah how many of those sugars are sugars you can kind of taste in the sense that they're kind of like um you know they're actually added to so that you can taste it and how much of it is sugar that's there but you don't know it's there sugar that's like hidden sugar essentially this 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 argument is very much very much boils down to or derives from what is called in philosophical circles the jaffa quake Jaffa Quake? Jaffa Cake question. Jaffa Quake question. The Jaffa oh, Quake question. Please go on. I meant to say the Jaffa Cake question. I, I said Jaffa Quake, representing the fact that it's such an earthquake in uh, philosophy and uh, cakeism. But yeah, about Jaffa Cake, is it a cake or is it a biscuit? Oh, smarter, I did not know what you were talking about for a minute. Smarter people than I have tried to answer that question. I think it's in France, like they usually call little things like that a, like a gateau, a cake like little things that are like there's they're small like biscuits but like people they get called cakes because they're cake like oh yeah like this one it's very cakey i think jaffa cake is trump's favorite partially because of the orangeness yeah and also because of the cakiness you think trump is a cake i definitely think he is what what form of cake he is i won't specify because it involves a very rude word but dj's disappeared we've lost her she's defected to north korea <laughs> You know, I've got the same birthday as Kim Jong Un. That's not a coincidence. We're both Capricorn. God, that explains so much about you, DJ. Exactly. (laughs) The sad thing is, is that only one of them is evil. (laughs) Which one? (laughs) After that laugh, I'm not sure. Exactly. Congratulations, you made it 19 minutes into our podcast. For you, that's a record. I'm kidding. I don't know who you are. You could be anyone. You could be listening to us from a caravan in Albania, for all I know. What's the weather like there? But if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you're listening, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the usual places. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Tell your friends. Share it. Shout from the rooftops. Draw a funny picture. Whatever it is, as long as it's dangerous, go do it. Enjoy the rest of the show. (laughs) 
I have to say, guys, my cocktail has gone to a disappointing lukewarm temperature. <laughs> and uh, the spicy cow pie is not one what it once was. You really yeah. needed the flaming for it to be decent. Maybe that is what's missing in the Brexit talks tonight, is a bit of flaming cow pie. Um, I would certainly wake them up a little bit, wouldn't it? Can't do uh, them any harm. Ursula von der Leyen, who is the EU chief that Boris is meeting, I'm sure she'd love a flaming cow pie to be drinking. Maybe Boris will serve it up to her and say it's a, tradi- it's a tradition- traditional to signify the moment of the Britishness. Exactly, the moment of Britishness. So yeah, but maybe when this episode's gone out, we will be out of date already and the, you know, they've got a massive trade agreement that's all lovely and beautiful, though somehow I doubt it. Could be a oven ready, as was said back in June, wasn't it? Or Could be oven ready, right? yeah. Sorry, June 2018 or whenever it was. Oven that. ready, yeah. Just turns out that Boris forgot that he didn't even have an oven. And he had a microwave, and he's basically just trying, been trying to cook a turkey in the microwave. <laughs> and, also, and also, it contained metal parts, so the microwave exploded. The end. And he, and he doesn't have running electricity. But also, the I was going to say the bloke from Tesco, but I mean the <laughs> chairman of Tesco said today that it was quite funny actually. He said that like some products, particularly foreign cheese, might go up by forty percent. Like the cost of brie might go up by 40%. And he was saying like, oh, people might have to make nationalist decisions about what cheese they eat. Like, are they enough of a Europhile that they will pay 40% more for brie? Or they just eat more cheddar? People already spend way too much on imported stuff. I can tell you from like living in three different countries, like people, like cheeses, for example. So like French cheeses, you're getting like the bottom of the barrel. (laughs) the time like in terms of quality and stuff because countries export the products that are like cheaper you're not normally getting the best brie unless you go to like you know a french deli or whatever he's shot um, from Majeri, i think it was oh, oh, she's, she's got the lingo she's got the lingo she picked it all up <laughs> actually there is a french from Majeri in london i think it's in your finance Good stuff. It smells amazing. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but people, they, yeah, the j'adore la fromage. People spend a lot on stuff that they think is like fancy French cheese or just fancy anything from another country because, like, it looks like it, but it, it's not. Things are like modified to fit people's palates, you know. People are generally more ignorant, aren't they, about foreign food? So, yeah. if you've only if you've only used to like average brie then your barometer of what brie is like is going to be bad. I'd say Brits are notoriously famous for uh, being ignorant to other foods. But then again, like you have to remind yourself, we, we do like we do like a bit of cuisine from all over the world. In fact, we love it. Yeah, as you say, like mm. the imports, we're going to struggle with that, I think. You know, we mm. love bringing stuff in from all over the world and making it our own. Chicken tikka masala being the national dish. So there you have it. I do have to say, I think bottle will probably be okay. That's yeah, gonna... maybe maybe your cocktail will will you know do well they out of Brexit. Have, like um, Indian stuff, like in, in like the British section in the supermarket. That's it. <laughs> I don't know where Tabasco is made though. Is that imported? Tabasco. It's imported from Tabasco. Is Tabasco from. There, there is a place in Mexico called Tabasco. Yeah. 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 Awesome. yeah. Tabasco. Tabasco is not in the European Union, yeah. So that won't be affected. But, by... Oh, see, but that's oh. another thing. Products like that, Tabasco, um, 
maple syrup, like you go to the same place and like the maple syrup, like they'll be like, oh, true Canadian maple syrup. And it's like, it's not. I mean, I'll still take it over more, no syrup, but like it's not really maple syrup, but it's like in some, and it's in like a tiny little bottle. It's like super expensive and they got the like alarm thing on it and everything. I didn't realize you were such a connoisseur of maple syrup, DJ. I uh... That's good to hear. That's good to I hear. Mean, who doesn't love proper maple syrup and bacon and the pancakes? I think that's at least I can still have that. I can still have my British bacon, Canadian maple syrup, and my American pancakes. So, is that the Brexit dream, Bertie? That's the Brexit dream. That's what everyone's going to be having. You know, I like the breakfast that's like an English breakfast and American breakfast combined. I mean, if you take like me with breakfast and replace the toast with like pancake or French toast or something. I love that. Even it's French toast. What's French, French toast is what we call Indian <laughs> bread. Oh, is it? Oh, I never knew that. It's Eggy bread. They call it lost bread in French because it's normally like traditionally, like you would use, people would make like, take old stale bread and use eggs to you know cook with it it's true smart actually yeah because think about bread we throw away here yeah we should make more eggy bread maybe that's what we will be doing when we run out of ideas because we don't have enough food and then we just have to eat all the stale bread the national dish will be eggy bread and we won't and we'll refuse to call it french toast we'll just call it eggy bread Eggy bread with a cup of bovril. Oh my yeah. God, it's going to be like, I feel like in the UK, it's going to be like when Americans were like, we're not going to call them French fries, we're going to call them freedom fries. Freedom <laughs> And then like, racists in the UK are going to be like, no, it's not French toast, egg toast. <laughs> uh, eggy toast. No, it's eggy bread, mate. Eggy bread. Exactly. Creme brulee will disappear from every single menu. Do you think patisserie Valerie will just be uh, bulldozed? Bulldozed. They can't be bothered to rename it. Just vandalized. <laughs> or they'll just remove some of just the. Co- it'll just be called. It'll just be called the cake shop. <laughs> just, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll remove the letter, so it'll say Pat's Pat's Valerie, whatever that, whatever Pat's the hell. Valerie. That's Valerie. Wait, is Patisserie Valerie actually French? Like, I, I, I doubt. there is 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 Paul French? I don't mean the person. Yeah, Paul. there is a cafe called Paul, isn't there? But I've never actually been to the Pauls in the UK. Is Pret a Manger French? Yeah, it is. Yeah, what's going to happen to Pret a Manger? That is a very good question. It will be renamed Pre Man. Pre Man, yeah. No, mm-hmm. just call. They'll just call it um Ready to Eat. Because that's fun. They'll, they'll just call it not Costa. Yeah. <laughs> Doing important research in this podcast, and DJ is now researching whether Patisserie Valerie is French or not. Oh, here's the Wikipedia. Oh, I think it only operates in the United Kingdom, and the headquarters are in Birmingham. I mean, I guess like the the person, Madame Valerie, who founded it, um, was from Belgium, but. Or Birmingham. Or Birmingham. Which is about as French as it gets in the UK. <laughs> Birmingham is basically the French city of the UK. They call it the city of romance in the UK. No, they don't. They call it 
the city of romance. So we've gone from Brexit to Birmingham. That'd be a great album, wouldn't it? Brexit to Birmingham. The live album that Chuck Berry didn't live long enough to make. Like a movie where everyone is speaking either in a Birmingham accent or a Boston accent. <laughs> what? A Birmingham accent or a Boston accent? <laughs> Boston. Yeah. Boston. Are you saying Boston is, is, I'm is from the Boston. United States? I'm from Boston. Get in the car. I can't do it. My dad can do it. You know what? Basically, I've got my Boston accent from watching basically every film that Ben Affleck has ever directed. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's how any Brit would get that. You know, that's <laughs> I mean, Birmingham, I mean, the only way you can learn about that, DJ, is by watching Peaky Blinders. I would say that would be my yeah. advice to you. I haven't seen Peaky Blinders. Good odds. Get yourself a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was on QI or something. And they were talking about like the most reassuring accents for pilots and stuff. So if you like mm-hmm. got on a plane and you heard like they were saying like a British accent is the most reassuring voice to hear from a pilot, whereas mm-hmm. people get more stressed if they hear like an Italian or a Spanish sounding pilot. But this is what they said on QI. They said that that's just stupid because what they mean is like a southern posh British accent. Because if yeah. if, you, if you heard your pilot have a Birmingham accent, you would probably conclude that. Mm-hmm you were probably going to crash and die, but that it wouldn't be your pilot's fault. It was just that he was unfortunate. Oh, this is your pilot speaking, unfortunately. We've got some disturbance and we appear to be heading into the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) The problem is with with an accent like that, you do sound a bit... And also everyone's sort of caricature accent of it is like you're about to go to sleep, but people from Birmingham don't sound like that at all. And like, but for us, we're just like... Do they know? Do they? Just drop off a couple of octaves and start talking like decently, you know. Like, All right. And then if you go, if you go even further north, you go up to or you go up to like Sunderland and Middlesbrough, and then you just sound even more, you know, crazy and deranged because you're a southerner trying to do a northern accent. So yeah, it's just it's just a, it's just one of those problems, really. Moving swiftly on, this week the vaccine got rolled out. The Pfizerian vaccine got rolled out. Dun, dun, this ninety-year-old woman was the first person to get it. I can't remember what her name was. Did you remember her name? She was Scottish, wasn't she? Thank like Keenan. I don't know. I could try and guess her name. Doris. Not Keenan and Kel, but Keenan. Um, DJ's probably too young to remember Keenan and Kel. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yes, no, I am. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know what he's talking about. Classic, classic Nickelodeon back in the day before Drake and Josh ruined their legacy. I like sort of um, Shaolin Showdown. Remember that one? Cartoon Network. I used to love Cartoon Network. I'd stay up late until it switched to Adult Swim. I used to watch Cow and Chicken, Ed, Ed and Eddie, all that kind of stuff. Ed, Ed and Eddie. Ed, Ed and Eddie. I used to love Dexter's Laboratory because he was like the only ginger person I knew on TV. <laughs> what about um, what about Pinky in the Brain? That was good. Yes. Go Pinky in the Brain. My nephews got me obsessed with this show on Netflix. This kid's show. <laughs> it's a French show. <laughs> French show. It's called, yeah. it's called Miraculous Ladybug. Miraculous Ladybug. And it's like. This, this like high school girl has she's like has an alter ego as like a superhero right and one of her classmates also has an alter ego but they don't know that it's them even though they work together when they're superheroes and it's really obvious it's them because their hair sticks out <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like, like an incredible premise and and the guy 
he he um he saw his alter ego is Shanoir, and Shanoir, and he doesn't know that he has a crush on Miraculous Ladybug, but he doesn't know that Miraculous Ladybug is also um I forget her real name. The girl who's Miraculous Ladybug has a crush on Adrian, but she doesn't know that Adrian is also Shanoir. So love triangle. Like, it's so goofy, but it's got like especially Romeo and Juliet for the animated era. But it's like it's actually kind of smart. I think they have a lot of like there like there's definitely some like subtext mm-hmm. stuff about like mental illness and stuff. I think, for and it, it's not apparent because it's goofy. But anyway, you have to watch it. It's amazing. And in English, there's like this rock star guy. And of course, when it's in English and American English, the rock star has a British accent. And then when you watch it in French, the rock star has an American accent. (laughs) French people, honestly, they hate us. Oh, God. I'm sorry, but I so easily get triggered by stuff like that. You know, and we always get played as the villains, don't we? We always get played as the villains. Oh, therefore I'm evil. I don't. I think it's kind of hard to. I don't know. I don't really. I'm trying to imagine a British accent in French town in my head, and I don't really know what that sounds like. Yeah, it might be easier for a French person to do an American accent than a British accent. I think it is. Yeah. Okay, maybe because because I think it's easier to do a bad American accent than it is to do a bad British accent. If that makes yeah. sense. Like I went to international school and like we did, we had some classes in English because we were doing the international baccalaureate and like the usually students, like French students tend to pick up American phonetics or whatever. But also people like kind of go in and out of dialects kind of depending on the point you're trying to make. <laughs> <laughs> like the context of what you're saying. So if you're asking for a packet of bacon, you might want to say it like a redneck. Hey, I can't get a packet of bacon. Whereas <laughs> if you're asking for a, for a, a double cheeseburger, double cheeseburger, you might say like, you all want to get my coffee like from New York. My coffee. Co- coffee. My coffee. My yeah. coffee. Hey, Tony, I want my coffee. Tony. 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 That's the Tony. problem, right? Is that when British people do American, like New York accents, they just basically become like mafioso. Pretty much. Tony, why are you always out, got always out whacking somebody? Yeah, basically. Now you got full Brooklyn now. You got full Brooklyn. <laughs> I can tell you just watched every single gangster film <laughs> in, in, in America. You know? The problem is that my New York accent has been ruined by Tom Hardy in Venom. Because it's like the worst oh, yeah. New York accent. It's like, I'm, I'm Eddie Buck. I'm, I'm Eddie Buck. It's just like the worst. It's like the biggest stereotypical, like, it's basically a British person doing a New York accent. That's basically what yeah. it is. So I'll take it with not having to. You know who does a really good American accent is Christian Bale. Have you, have I had no idea that he's Welsh. Like, what the fuck? But he's lost his accent. If you like watch interviews of Christian Bale, he has a different accent yeah. every time. Because sometimes he yeah. can be like proper, like, British and down here, like, gangster. And then sometimes it can be a bit American as well. And sometimes it can be a bit yeah. posh. Tom Hardy's mm-hmm. also a bit like that, actually. Is that sometimes he can be like really like Cockney and sometimes he can be really posh. I think that might just be from all the acting they do and stuff. Gary Oldsman is British. And at one point he had to get a dialect coach to remember how to speak in a British accent. I because, believe it. 
because genuinely he lost his accent. And if you listen to him being interviewed, it's really weird because his accent just changes all the time. Yeah. Because particularly if you're that kind of actor who, like a character actor where you play like different characters, don't you? If you're like George Clooney or <clears throat> Dan Cook, then it's never going to happen because you're basically always the same person. It happens to international people too. I can I can recognize when someone else is like, an international person like they have moved around or something because like their accent will be kind of Anchorless, like, like tom hanks in the terminal we got somehow got from the Pfizerian vaccine to this but it happened deal with it bitches so yeah the vaccine hasn't had any weird side effects yet we haven't all turned into well we haven't had it but the people who've had it haven't all turned into praying mantises or anything yet still time i guess they haven't got growths coming up their backs so that you know like camels yet no more than usual they have been told now today after the first set of people who've been given it if you've got any serious allergies don't take it i was reading that's quite normal though for vaccines yeah yeah it's pretty normal um however you know there's there's i think there's it's important that people do take the necessary precautions with their health before they go ahead and take this thing and they don't go Oh, I need to take the vaccine, you know, and like rush to it and then think, oh shit, I've got a peanut allergy. And then boom, you know, all of a sudden you've got narcolepsy. So, ah uh, shit, I've got a peanut allergy. Exactly. Peanut butter jelly time. Oh, shucks. I've got a peanut allergy. It's droopy the dog. I don't know why I went all droopy then. <laughs> oh, oh, dear. You know what? I had a vaccine and now I'm happy. <laughs> anyway, the last item I've got on my agenda of love is basically comedians and who they are and what they are dj has disappeared again i don't know if she's gone to the toilet or she's summoning a demon i was listening to a podcast i won't tell you which one um and a comedian who presents the podcast was asked it was it was basically made in reference to jeremy corbyn how quite a few left-wing comedians didn't really support him or didn't really defend him and why is that and and so it sort of it raised the deeper question in me of what is the role of the comedian? Is the role of the comedian just to be a clown? Or is the comedian role of the comedian to be like a truth teller, to hold power to justice, that kind of shit? Because um, I've always seen comedy as innately anti-establishment. And that's how I sort of view my own comedy anyway, certainly now, is being sort of anti-establishment and telling the truth when every other fucker is too cowardly to do it. But yeah, mm-hmm. so I wanted to raise that and see what you think. Because I think I love good comedy. And don't get me wrong. There's loads of comedians that aren't political that I like, but I think there's a lot of comedians who are left wing or left leaning, but are too scared to actually do anything about it or say anything because they want to mm-hmm. protect their careers and they don't want to be controversial in quotation marks. Anyway, what do we think? Yeah, I agree. Comedy is should be anti-establishment. Is inherently anti-establishment anyway, and done correctly. There's definitely like and. You know, the entertainment industry and stuff, people do, you know, can get like, they might not get as much attention anymore if they express some of their political beliefs. Like, I'm not so sure. I like, I'm not really sure what the comedy scene is like, but definitely in like Hollywood movie scene and things like that. Might not be casted or whatever. There, there seems to be like, I would say the bulk or the majority of the British comedy scene is sort of seen as quite sort of left liberal. But they're very sort of like largely quite apolitical. And if they do make jokes, they're like quite keen to like make sure they're making jokes about everybody. And mm. I actually weirdly feel that that American comedians do a better job of being political and being 
controversial and not necessarily in a bad way. I think, for example, Dave Chappelle is better better at holding, I think he's better at holding the establishment to account than comedians here are. And I was saying to Bertie earlier about Frankie Boyle, who I think is a great comedian and I love him, but I feel like he doesn't always have the balls to actually like follow through with what he believes in. Do you see what I mean? Like politically. He sometimes takes the easy option and just fires everybody as opposed to actually focusing his hatred. Dave Chappelle, he said that like the reason why he kind of stopped doing comedy for a while was because people were laughing for the wrong reasons, especially in terms of talking about race and stuff. Um, A lot of his like white following, he realized, weren't laughing at the jokes for the same reason. They weren't really getting the point and it made him kind of question his work and stuff. I mean, I love him. I think he's, you know, on point (laughs) most of the time. Um, But when, when I heard about that, I was like, shit, like, it got me thinking about jokes, things I've laughed at that people laughing with me weren't, you know, yeah. <laughs> laughing for the same reason. It's like, oh, you're not laughing at this joke because you understand the satire laughing because you generally think all people of X race are, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, like that is fucked up. <laughs> you're laughing at the punchline, but not not what the punchline means. Exactly. But yeah, no, I see, I see what you mean, though. In the last couple of months, when I was sort of bringing the podcast back and thinking about like getting back into comedy and stuff, mm-hmm. I've sort of made this sort of promise to myself that I'm not going to sacrifice what I believe in and that I'm just going to go like, whatever happens, I'm going to stay true to myself, stay true to myself and hold power to account, truth to power, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, but it's interesting. Maybe when we make it big as a podcast, we'll we'll just become really liberal and we'll, you know. No, I think it's a really good question, to be honest. Like, I think um, the way I see it, like being a comedian is is a job. you got to see it as a job, but it's a job you can either, you, I think it's one of those jobs where you can either work really, really hard trying to achieve something and you can really make it challenging and hard or you can make it really easy for yourself to achieve very much. I think, you know, like maybe that's quite a cynical way of looking at comedians. But, you know, it depends what draws you to comedy as well. You know, maybe you are one of these people who goes through life wanting to laugh at everything, wanting to make everything a funny, uh, a funny little blip or a funny, you know, you try and find the funny side to absolutely everything. The most yeah. basic situational comedy. But then there's the comedians who maybe have more of a political education or maybe have more of a, a political standpoint. Or maybe who don't have that much of a political standpoint. They just, you know, a lot of reactions and a lot of feelings. It's it's a way of, ex- I think it's a really good way for people to express themselves. Much like music, much like acting, mm-hmm. much like a lot of these need, well-needed kind of outlets in society for people. I think it's really good to see new people coming into comedy and coming into mm-hmm. any, any form of kind of like creative, sketchy Com- thing. Comedy is a good way of talking about really serious issues sometimes too. You know, if done correctly, sometimes jokes don't always land, but because it gets people talking, I mean, that's, I guess that's basically, that's like the point of like comedy is just you're making jokes out of real things, you yeah, know, real stuff. life. And sometimes things go, oh yeah, that is actually really fucking ridiculous. <laughs> it's inherently more confrontational than music and like, filmers as well because yeah. it's literally a person talking at you 
That's it's not. It's not. It's less passive. Like music is more passive and subjective and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Whereas comedy is a lot more direct. And I look when I'm listening to what you said, but it, it's. I think it comes back to what you like the philosophy behind your creativity or art form is, and this can apply to music or film or literature or whatever. Is that are you are you are you doing this to provide a distraction for people? So are you doing comedy to make people people feel better about their lives? Are you producing music so that people feel happy about their lives? It's like a distraction for people, basically. It's that old thing about TV, isn't it? People watch TV to get to help them get through the week, so they can wake up the next day I mean, and get to work. You know what? It can be a distraction, but it can also be. I want to say um but that's the point is that i or is it that right for some people oh, is that sorry, like finish. for some people it is that and for other people they actually want to use that art form to challenge things yeah to inspire I mean, people and challenge like- things and that's for me that's what it is <laughs> is that i don't like obviously i wouldn't be a comedian i wouldn't do comedy if i didn't enjoy people making people laugh like that's the that's the basic i wouldn't do it like nobody who is a comedian doesn't enjoy making people laugh but it's also because I want to change things and I want to, and art in any form is a great way of doing it. And comedy is an f- art form. Films are like my favorite art form. Oh, exactly. <laughs> I and don't you, care what anyone says. Like... You'll be using your films to change, to change people, to inspire mm-hmm. people, to lead and people. And people sometimes don't even, they don't even realize, but like, you don't even, like people sometimes will like act like films can't be like, they don't view it as artistic or something. Um, which first of all, you're probably just not watching very like good movies. <laughs> Secondly, even dumb stuff though, you can like unpack a lot of shit from like and people don't realize how everything like there's so many things that go into it that are affecting the way you feel. You know, they don't even notice that it's like making them feel a certain way the music or the colors you know dialogue like perspective mm-hmm. and it's someone's philosophy if not lots of people's mm-hmm. philosophy going into political and i feel like kids children's books and children's shows are like a really good place to to help re-educate <laughs> society you know like my nephew watches this stuff that is clearly the is is what the the younger generation is going to grow up with and it's like introduced it's exposing them to things that we weren't exposed to in cartoons as much or not as blatantly you know and kids will grow up having a di- having different values um and perspective on things that's interesting i mean because i to be quite honest with you know nothing about kids tv today um, that surprises me, Bertie. I, I saw you as a sort of avid, avid watcher. Yeah, of kids' cartoons. Not, unless it's Rick and Morty, but yeah, like from what I, you know, from what I remember, I remember Disney films. You know, that's what I remember. I remember The Lion King. I remember Dumbo. I remember that sort of thing. But what I always thought when I rewatched those films is there's some quite strong moral principles to those films, mm-hmm. um, and also. I do feel like, you know, Disney, aren't, they're not afraid to, to, to frighten little kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like there are some proper scary moments in Dumbo, proper scary moments in The Lion King and other stuff. Is that just because Walt Disney was evil? It could be. But, you know, I actually think, in a way, there's not too much harm in being a little scared as a kid. 
I was watching like Alice this. in Wonderland, like the cartoon, you know, the Disney animated one uh, with my nephew. And like, I forgot like just how dark it is. Not even the obvious parts, but there's so much like symbolism that's just metaphor for like, that's what it was. I totally forgot about this. But at the beginning, we're like that. Um, I forgot what kind of creature he was. I think it's Shasher Cat that's telling her the story of the guy that, like, ate those baby oysters. Do you remember that scene? Is this Dumbo? No, 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 Alice in Wonderland. Oh, sorry, no. Like, uh, oysters, is this, is it, is like, it's not Dumbo, is it? It's a latent <laughs> metaphor for, like, pedophilia and, like, rape oh, because the yeah. oysters are babies and he lures them out and eat them and it's like holy shit it's so dark because I, I, I know like dumbo there was the pink elephant scene which is all about like hallucinating and shit but that's, yeah. that's still pre-pg compared to pedophilia in a, in a yeah. kid program so no i forgot about that pink elephant yeah mm. so all those things all those little uh all those little references yeah i watched the, the original charlie and the chocolate factory willy wonka so many funny moments mm-hmm. in that that you just don't appreciate unless you're an adult. You don't get the sarcasm of it. And it's like, mm-hmm. you could just really like reappreciate this stuff when you come back to watch it years later. It's brilliant. Yeah. The Walrus and the Carpenter is the story that you're talking about, The Walrus and the Carpenter. Oh, God, it gives me shivers. Oh, my God. That seems like a good note to end this week's podcast on. I feel like we haven't been talking very long. No, we have. It's um, fine. People listening don't know. They're dumb. Sorry. Okay, everybody, have a wonderful weekend thing. Whatever you guys do. And wear your fucking mask. Wear your fucking mask. God damn it. I have another thing to say. Sarah Beanie, if you're watching, take your fucking plastic mansion out of Somerset. Come on, man. It's plastic. I know it's carbon neutral. You don't need to build a massive building out of plastic in the middle of a field. It makes no sense. It should be made of Lego. It could make out of anything. Yeah, that would be better. James May had the right idea. Yeah, listen up, Sarah Beanie. Sarah Beanie, I'm giving you a warning look from across Somerset. You have been warned. Chill, everybody. Stay dangerous. Stay safe. Stay fucking tormented. Stay non-pedophilic. I had the COVID vaccine and now my willy dropped off. Oh, no. That's Please awful. help me. <laughs> oh, you never know. I had a dream come true. Never had a dream come true. <laughs>